God's Word says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help as, we pre- as I preach and as we open your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet us in this passage that is unique and different, seems strange and not what we're used to. But Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to be the God, even of ordinary, normal circumstances, in which you do extraordinary, amazing things. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. There's an old saying that says something like, that goes something like this, you can choose your friends, but not your family. Right? Right. You can choose your friends, but not your family. Not a one of us in this room got to choose the family we were born into. Some of us have good relationships with our families. Some of us have bad relationships with our family. Some of us have friends closer than family. Some of us have family closer than friends. We're all coming from a very different place. All of our family situations are different. But none of us chose the family we, are, we were born into. Now what about the church? What are the people of your church to you? If you're a part of Center Church, what are the people in this church to you? you're part of a different church, what are the people in that church to you? Are they your associates, your acquaintances, your comrades? Are they friends or something else? Or to put a finer point on it, what are we to each other? We're family. 1 Timothy chapter 5 from verses 1 through 16 explicitly and emphatically tells us that we, as a church, individually and corporately, are a family together. Local churches from the beginning, from Acts 2 on, 
have always been family. They've been family together, and they are our ancestors. And we look forward to being with our family one day in heaven around the throne. And today, on earth, every authentic church in the state, in the country, in the world, together is a family in their locale. If you're a visitor, your church is your family. We here at Center Church are family. Now remember the purpose statement of this book, which I've pointed to over and over again, but we'll look at it again in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, when Paul says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave. Where? In the household of God. And that, friends, is the controlling image of the whole book. The church is also the church of the living God. It, 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 it functions as a pillar and buttress of truth, but the controlling image of the church is not a mere gathering, not a mere group, but the very household of God. It makes sense because Jesus directs us in Matthew chapter 4 to speak of, our, of God as our Father. Remember, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The New Testament is awash with the word Father when it, comes to, when it comes to talking about God. And as Christians, we know we have been adopted into this Father's family. We can see this in many places, but one of the most explicit is Galatians chapter 4, where we see, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of women, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. In other words, all those who trust in Christ don't just gain redemption, they gain adoption, acceptance. They become family members with God as the Father and our, our Jesus as our brother. But also, but also, we inherit other family members. Family members in our own church. We are friends. That sounds odd. We are friends. Friends, we are family. That sounds odd. We are family together, and we must be family. That's the main idea of the passage. We are family. We must be family. And to understand what it looks like, I'm going to ask two questions of this text. This text is mostly about how to care for widows, and it's very clear and explicit. And so we need to ask ourselves first, why are we family? Then second, how must we be family? Why are we family? And then how must we be the family? Why are we family? If you don't understand first that the church is a family, you're not going to understand anything about what church life is supposed to be. Now remember, way back at the beginning of this book, we saw in the introduction that Paul starts from the beginning with familial language. Look at verse 2, chapter 1. To Timothy, my true child. He's already talking about family. In the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, what? The Father. Paul sees Timothy as the son he never had. And he calls God the Father. There are many other ways he could have referred to God. He could have called him our 
the, the Lord of hosts, or the Lord our warrior, or the Lord our shepherd, or the Lord Almighty, or the Lord our provider, or the Ancient of Days, or the Alpha and Omega, or the Lord Everlasting, but instead he uses the word Father. That is the identity of our God. If you were to describe God with one word, it would be Father. Our God is Father because that is who He is. He is Father. He was Father. He will always be Father. He was Father before time began. It is who He is. I'll go a step further. Even if He never created us or redeemed us, He would still be Father. Let's come at this from another way. It's not, as if, it's not as if the biblical writers, grasping for an image to describe God, see in creation males, in male ducks or goats or dogs or human, that go around protecting and providing and leading and loving and teaching the young ones. And, and so they say, oh, those males are acting like fathers, so let's call God a father because that's something that people can understand and relate to. It's actually the opposite. He is and always has been Father, and the images of fathers here on earth are a poor and often disappointing, sometimes damaging reflection of God as the Father of all. He is Father. Why is He Father? Well, because He has a Son. Before He was Father, to us, He was Father to the Son, Jesus. Who is he? He's our Savior. Yes, he's our Lord. He's Alpha and Omega. He's our Redeemer. He's our King. Yes, 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 absolutely. But before all of that, he's a son to the Father. This is what John says in John chapter 1. And the Word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father. Notice the familial language again, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. How do we know what God is like? We look at his Son, Jesus. Jesus has come to make the Father known. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. And one of the ways that the New Testament speaks of Jesus and our relationship with him one of the ways we don't often speak this way is as our brother. Most famously, we see it in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The writer says, For it was fitting that he, for whom, for whom and by whom all things exist, that's Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder and of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Here's the idea. Jesus has so closely associated himself with us, Christians, that we are now his brothers and sisters. This is far more, this is far more <coughs> significant and deeper than just Jesus dying for our sins. Yes, he did that. Yes, that's wonderful. Yes, we talk about that all the time. This is great. But at our salvation, 
he becomes our Savior and doesn't just save us, he also ensures that we are now members of the household of God together. So we now have family members. God the Father. God the Son. The Father is our Father and the Son is our brother. We have family members in heaven awaiting us. The Father sent His only Son to live and die and rise and ascend and thereby adopt into His family a multitude of men and women and boys and girls just like us. So remember our question, why then are we family? Well, because we all have God as our Father and Christ Jesus as our brother. We're related. All who are Christians are forever and forcefully a part of his family. And all who are in the same church are, for, are, are, are forcefully a part of his family as well. In other words, the reason we are family, the reason that we are in God's household, is not because we share the same education, or experience, or voting record, or race, or age, or marital status, or amount of money, but because God is our Father, and Christ is our brother. And we are one of, we, we are one of the many households of God that exist throughout the world together today. We are that together now because of our connection to the Father and the Son. See, this is important for us to recognize that we cannot live the Christian life in isolation. <coughs> We're used to recognizing that we need a Savior, that we need Jesus, because apart from Him, we can do nothing. But what we often forget is that we need other people too. We need one who can live and die for, our, for us in our place, but we also need others to come alongside us. We don't typically think of church members as family, but sometimes acquaintances sprinkled with some friends. Why? Because we're Americans, and that's the way we think. We think we have the freedom and that we're autonomous, and, and we can think about the church as just, you know, they're just people just like the people I see at my gym, or people at work, or people at school, or people wherever else I go, but it's not true. We are, together, family. We must be family. Phil Ripon says, Timothy's congregation is not like family, it was family. Timothy's congregation was not like family, it was family. And the same is true for us. In other words, more fundamental than our country of origin, than our DNA, than our citizenships, than our heritage, than our race, more fundamental than any of those things is our connection to Jesus and his Father because his Father is now our Father. See, there's a lie that goes around in the world today that says you can't relate to people if they don't have the same skin color as you or if they don't vote like you or if they're of different ages or if they have a different background there's that lie that trots around in the world and it, in, it, it can infiltrate into the church from time to time. And we can think, oh, there's nobody here who understands. Nobody here who gets me. But listen, we gather together not just because we're in the same place at the same time. We gather together because what we have together is God as our Father and Christ 
as our brother. It means that our family here may not resemble each other. We may look different. We may have different color skin. We may speak a different native language. We may have all kinds of differing features. We may not resemble each other physically, but we will begin more and more to resemble our older brother as we press forward to the day we see him face to face. As a church and as a people, our goal is to fix ourselves upon Jesus so that we might not resemble the world we live in, but begin more and more to resemble him. And we begin then also to resemble each other as we live together as family with God our Father and Christ our brother. So why are we family? Because God is our Father. And because Jesus is our brother. In other words, we're adopted. Because we are family, and we've talked about why we're a family, we must be family. Now how must we be family? Well, Now, verses 1 through 16 describes some of the ways in which we're called to be family. He's gonna, Paul is going to speak of five specific and discrete categories of people that, that Tim, and how Timothy ought to relate to them. We can see this in verse 1, chapter 5. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Notice all the familial language here. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. So the categories of people are older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and widows. And so Paul is saying, listen, because God is your father and Christ is your brother, the people in your church are your family. So treat older men like you would treat your father, assuming you had a good relationship with your father. This means you treat them with respect. You listen. You ask questions. You encourage. You're not harsh. You don't lord it over. But you especially show respect like uh, to an older man. An older man. Same thing with women. You literally serve women. Those who, for older women, you serve them as you would serve and love your mother. And all of the activities that we act toward older women must be suffused with respect for those ladies who are older than we are. Younger men we treat like brothers. Brothers that we show respect to and try to build up and encourage and not tear down and say, why are you following me around? Young men can be hard to be patient with because they think they know everything, but our job is to be patient with young men and help them recognize that, that they can't go through this life alone. Younger women we need to treat as sisters. And he adds three words, in all purity. Meaning, no one, no woman should feel like she's some kind of, she's, she's, some, she's some kind of mark for people to come and, you know, take advantage of. The younger women in our family must not be, must not just, must be, be able to be safe as the men treat them with all purity. So our job is to, when we see younger women, protect, serve, and watch out for them like we would our sisters. And widows. Now, Paul spends most of his time on widows. Why? A couple reasons. One, clearly the church in Ephesus had a number of widows. Two, um, this category, this category of woman was large in the ancient world because when their husband died or when they had no family, people would just throw the, the older women out on the streets and they would quite literally starve. 
The Christian church was the first group to ever take an interest in widows, orphans, the disabled, those with serious mental illness. They were the only people, and baby, baby girls especially, who were thrown out. Christians gathered them together and said, come meet, come be with us. We have a Father in heaven that will accept everyone and a brother in Jesus who died so that all might be saved. And so a widow was someone who had no resources. Now, in, in English, widow for us means a woman who had a husband who's since died, um, but this category is bigger than that in the original. In the original, widow can mean any single woman for any reason, whether she had a husband who died, whether he abandoned her, or whether she never got married. Now, why would Paul spend so much time and ink on widows? Because they're the most vulnerable people in the church. Apart from them receiving help, they would not be able to have a viable means to feed themselves. In that day, a woman could not hold down a job. She was not allowed to. Um, And if she had no man or household to provide for her, she would starve. There was no societal safety net. And Paul wants to make sure that these most vulnerable in the family have a way to be cared for. Now, what he does is he introduces us to the category of true widows. Look at verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, what's a true widow? Verse 5 tells us. She who is truly a widow, this is one who's left all alone, Now, then he goes to describe what she is like, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. In other words, she lives a God-focused, Godward life. But if she is self-indulgent, she is dead even while she lives. So a true widow is someone who is godly. She's interested in serving others, and she's living a life focused on the Lord. He then says that a true widow, even if a true widow is a true widow, her family needs to be the one first that takes care of her. Her family, it's not as if she can, a family can just drop the, drop a lady off at the church and say, hey, here, you need to take care of her. We're not going to be able to do it, so go for it. Um, No, family first. And we see this in verse 8. But, and Paul makes this scorching judgment of of people and, and how they do or don't take care of their family. He says this, it's a a measurement of faith. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, notice this, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It is our Christian duty to care for our parents the best that we can. And that's going to look different for everybody, but it is our Christian duty to care for our family the best that we can. This doesn't automatically mean we have to bring them into our home. Um, it can be with the assistance of medical, medical aid or nursing homes under appropriate, and in the appropriate kind of circumstances. But what we must do is be people who take care of our elders. Otherwise, we show ourselves not to be genuine followers of Jesus. Godliness is important because otherwise, see, this is the reason he's concerned about making sure those who receive help are truly widows, because if the church finances a life of idleness, what will they do? Verse 13, go from house to house, gossiping and being busybodies, saying what they should not. 
And so, Paul says, here's how you can tell who a true widow is. Or someone who really needs help from the church. Here it is. She's over 60. I'm going to summarize it for you. Faithful to her husband while he was alive. Consistently serves the saints in the church. Raised her children faithfully. Is hospitable. Helped the sick and continues to help those in need. Devoted to good works of all kinds and is a woman of prayer. I'll tell you what, as a church, we have so many older people who are just like this. And I would be remiss if I didn't stop here for just a moment and just express my gratefulness for you. I am so glad that our church is multi-generational. This is a gift that I do not take for granted. It's a gift every Sunday when we have people in their teens gathering in the same building with people in their 80s. That is unique, and it's a gift. But for those of you who are older, especially women, I want you to hear me here. You might think that you don't have much to offer. Nothing could be further from the truth. See, one of the reasons that Paul is going to great pains to make sure that he explains that women, that, that these women who are alone have God is because they, as they orient their lives toward the Lord, they build more than they can see. This was illustrated in, a, in something I read this week by Philip Riken. He talked about during, the, during the, the 50s when the Iron Curtain descended, the Communist Party came in and outlawed church gatherings. But the Communist Party didn't see the older women as much of a threat. So they would allow them to get together to pray. Because they reasoned, the Communists did, what threat are old ladies? A pastor comes in in the early 90s and he sees this church. And he says this, how mistaken the communists were when they allowed older women to continue worshiping and praying together. It was they who were considered no threat to the new order. But it was they whose prayers and faithfulness over all these barren years held the church together and raised up a generation of men and young people to serve the Lord. Yes, the church we attended was crowded with these older women at the very front, for they had been the stalwart defenders and maintainers of Christ's gospel. But behind them and alongside them and in the balcony outside the windows were the fruit of their faithfulness, men, women, young people, and children. We must never underestimate the power and place of godly women. Amen. Amen. And I'm not sure if you know, not everybody does, but our seasoned saints here are a bastion of strength. They share a vibrant community, and they are a part of our vibrant community, and they pray. Do they ever pray? I wouldn't trade our prayer warriors from these older saints for anything or anyone. Thank you. Thank you for helping and doing your part to hold our church together by your prayers. We are family. Because we are family. We are fam Why are we family? We're family because God is our Father and Christ is our brother. And we're called to be family. So what does this look like in the time that we have left? A couple things. First, you and I and all of us need people more than we know. 
It's not enough just to have good, quiet times, read good books, listen to the right podcasts. We need people in our lives. We need people who will weep with us. We need people who will rejoice with us. We need people who will build us up. We need people who will confront us. We need people that we can confide in. We need people who we can come along and say, are you okay, and find out that they're not, and come to help them. We need the kind of people, we need the family members in our church to be the kind of place so that so when you have something that happens at 2 in the morning and your life feels like it's falling apart, you've got somebody and a few somebodies you can call. You need, I need, we all need people more than we know. We need family. And that's what we're called to be together. And to be family means we need to, at times, step out. If we sit back and wait for others to be family to us, we're going to be disappointed. We move toward others. We move toward others and treat them as family. Because if they have the same father as us and the same brother as us, they're family. Don't wait for others to treat you like family. Step out and embrace them as family. Especially those widows, single moms, people maybe who struggle with serious mental illness or caregivers of people with serious mental illness, anyone who is apt to be overlooked. Find out. Get to know them. They're part of the family. How can you help? How can you serve? If we sit around and wait for the leaders and the elders to come up with all the kinds of ministries that we need to sort of help and serve and, and be a family, this place will be a failure. We need all of us, each of us, to take responsibility for our family together and be connected to each other together. And that takes all of us saying, that's what I'm called to do. God is my father. Christ is my brother. These people are my family. We need people more than we think. We need to step out and we need to be patient. We need to be patient. We're all weak in different ways. See, I don't, you don't have to be patient with Jesus because he's perfect. God the Father, he's perfect. Your family, not perfect. Everybody here, not perfect. And getting to know family members takes time, and it's slow. We shouldn't have the expectation that we're going to be equally close to everyone all the time. Some are going to be like brothers and sisters. Others will seem like distant uncles and aunts and cousins. Some will seem like parents. Others like grandparents. But the reality is, the reality is, we need, we each need to be patient with each other because there will be ample opportunity to overlook sins and foibles and flaws in the family. We need to remember why we're family. Looking around this gathering all seems very normal. Very normal. Normal people sitting in normal chairs in a very normal building. It all looks very ordinary, but don't you believe it? not true. Each one of you who are a Christian in this room and a member of the household of God and members of the church here at Center Church, each one of you is a miracle. Each one of you has the Spirit of God that has interacted with you and regenerated your heart and made you a new creation and invited you to be in the family of God the Father with the brother of Jesus Christ. We have been brought together by a power greater than us. I say this because relationships can be difficult. People, even Christians, can be disappointing, even family members, and it's going to take work. 
But if we forget, the reason we're called together is not out of convenience. It's not out of, out of you know, just, hey, these are, the, these, are, these are the kind of people I can relate to. But we are called together because God has called us together. We're called together because God has said, Center Church is to be a household, my household. Therefore, they are to be family. And so we must overlook, we must be patient, but we also must remember why. We have in common all that matters. Even if you can't relate to someone because they speak a different language or they're they're from a different country or they have a different kind of education, you can relate to them because they have God as their father and Christ as their brother. And everyone fits. There's room for everyone. So we can't say no one understands, I don't fit in. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. We are family. Because we are family, may we be family. We have the same father. We have the same big brother. We have the same spirit. We are family. May we be family. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that for us. I pray that you would... I pray specifically for people who are new and they're trying to figure out how they fit, where they fit. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be able to connect and welcome them in. I also pray for those who have been around a long time and have gotten used to the people here and have gotten used to the way things are and, and the blessing of being associated with other Christians as family is something that is easy just to fade. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be reinvigorated by our connection to each other. Lord, our connection to each other is, the reason we're connected to each other is because we've been first connected to you. Thank you, God, for adopting us into your family with the agency of your son's blood so that we might be called sons and daughters of God. And that adoption can never be revoked. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to live this out on a regular basis. I also pray for any here who are not Christians, who have not begun to follow you. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to recognize there's always room at the table. There's always room for one, two, ten, a hundred more. There's always room because in, in our Father's house, as the Lord says, there are many rooms. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to welcome more and more and more people into your household. And I pray that you would give us the opportunity to share I pray, Lord, that you would help us to redouble and and continue our efforts to work hard to be together as family. Praise be to your name that you would take, Lord, rebellious sinners and transform them into be new creations. Thank you for doing that for us. Thank you, Lord, for not only that, but adopting us as your sons and daughters so that we might be in your family. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.